This podcast is for your entertainment only and is not the place to find professional medical advice. Hey guys, Jamie here. I'm so excited to share this episode with you guys. This week I'm chatting with Neve, who's based in the UK, currently in lockdown due to the coronavirus. So she had the opportunity to chat with us about her career as a dancer, about life with IBS as a performer, and we talk about all things friendship, elimination diets, all of the things involved with IBS, and I can't wait to share this episode with you guys. Stay tuned. How are you, Neve? Thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, we were just chatting before I pressed the record button about how you're in the UK and the Rona is everywhere. Mutant oh strain, gosh. all of the things. How are you coping? Um, I'm okay. It's, it's just taking each day as it comes and trying to find things to do. I'm just so, so bored now. It's like getting really tedious and I'm running out of the usual activities. So, yeah. yeah. Yes, I can imagine that. I've definitely, I mean, I experienced a little bit of that, of that over lockdown. My diversion was starting a TikTok account. <laughs> but then I I'm stopped. <laughs> um, but then I stopped after a couple of weeks because I was like, it was so addicting. And oh, yeah. you scroll through TikTok, and half of it's just rubbish. Like it's yeah. just not. It's not relevant. It's not. It's it's just not healthy for the brain. I think. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> not to bash anyone that does TikTok because there's actually a lot of like really positive things on TikTok. But yeah, um, I did have to get off of it. <laughs> um so yeah I'm really excited about you coming on the podcast I have been a fan of yours since like day dot being on Instagram (laughs) which you probably didn't know I've been a stealth fan I've been following you for like nine months keeping up with your stories like I know yeah and I watch I watch them so that's nice (laughs) so when I reached out to you talking to myself or like is anyone even listening so you always have those stealth fans as well who don't really comment but they like watch every single story I'm pretty sure we have a few of those at chronic hope um I don't even know how I found you I think it was just maybe you kind of popped up and I just love how transparent you are about your journey and you're transparent but it's also in a very um no filtered way not filtered way like yeah and I love that you'll be like yeah so I just went for a massive poo and I'm feeling so good and I'm just like it's so true it's so there's no such thing as TMI with me like I love it, when I get about it like, is, this, is this too much information I'm like no have you seen my stories like it's fine <laughs> yeah so I love that because it's that raw honesty which I don't really have the courage for. So I really admire that. I feel like we need it. We, we need it in this, yeah. like, 100%. in this community. We just need to normalize stuff because the more we're afraid to talk about it, the worse it is for us, you know? So break the stigma. Yeah, I love that. And thanks for doing what you're doing. And again, so glad to have you on. I brought you on one because I'm a big fan two because one of the things I love about kind of what you do is you are a dancer and Mm -hmm. you also have IBS which 
honestly sounds like it would be a challenge to navigate. And before we get into all of that, I want to talk about your pet peeve because that is usually the number one segment of the podcast. So what is your pet peeve? Okay. Well, I actually thought about this a lot because I'm a very irritable person and (laughs) lots of like little things annoy me, but it's so random. But my biggest pet peeve is when you're driving and you go to give way to someone, you pull over, you give way, you flash them or you do the gesture and then they give way to you. And then you're both sitting there flashing each other going, oh, you go, no, you go, no, you go. (laughs) Oh, it winds me up so much because I think, stop. I know you're trying to be nice, but you're wasting everyone's time. You should have just gone. And it really winds me up. (laughs) Does that happen a lot? Yeah. Oh, my God. So much. I mean, I'm not driving at the moment, so I've got a bit of a break. But it happens with walking as well, especially with the two-meter thing. You sort of let someone go, and then they wait for you, and you both stood there like, not knowing what to do. It's crazy. It's so maybe British, it's British thing. I was going to yeah. say, I, <laughs> I have heard British. of that happening, but it's yeah. not that common. Oh, it's so, I, I think it's so common here because British people just have a habit of saying, like, sorry, when they've not done anything wrong. Or, like, if someone bumps into you, you'll be like, oh, sorry even though it wasn't even your fault like it's just so British to say sorry and thank you way too much so I think that's what it is funny I brought um I don't know if you know Jason from we at one he has IBS and he's based in Oxford he was saying something similar how um the British are very polite and he his pet peeve was about cues and how when you when someone, um, when you're going to a queue and then someone else is going and then they get there first and they take the, oh my God. the, the, the spot in the queue and then you're just so angry at them, but they try to be polite about it. It's like, they know you're mad and you know, you're mad, yeah. but you're going to pretend you're not. Yeah. Because that's the British thing to do. <laughs> I know. And we're supposed to be so good at queuing, but it, it's supposed to be a British thing that we're good at, but it just doesn't doesn't always happen. That's so funny, though. Yeah, I I haven't really noticed that. That occasionally happens here in Australia, but it's usually like when I'm merging, is mm. I'll try and merge and someone will slow down for me, and then I won't see that they've slowed down or they haven't flashed their lights, or <laughs> the other way around. But yeah. it doesn't. <laughs> yeah that would bother me though probably oh yeah it's like this overt politeness which Mm. then ends up being almost counterintuitive because you get angry about it i just think stop stop being so nice but you can't (laughs) express it because you're british right (laughs) yeah yeah you still have to say sorry even though they're in the wrong it's crazy oh i love british people though I don't know Do if that's that a weird thing to say. I love the British. I love, I don't know. I just think I love a lot of cultures and stuff, but I think for me, I love that there's the British influence in Australia where I'm living. Mm. Um, like I went to 
government house a couple of like months ago for this award that I got and I met the govern the governor of New South Wales and she's like supposed to be the representative of the the queen in New South Wales which is the state I live in so I had to call her your excellency and I had to do the bow and like all of the things and it felt so like um what so it just felt so funny to me because I'm American and it's very this British, very British thing to like call her your excellency. Even Aussies don't really think about that stuff, but I think yeah. it's cool that there's a monarchy and all of that. Like we're everyone's all fascinated by it, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. I just think we're boring. No, 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 no. All the drama with the crown, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> No, but, um, yeah, I mean, I could go on about how interesting the UK is and all of that. But the point of this podcast is to actually talk about your experience with IBS and Dancing Anxiety. So we'll get back on topic. Um, So as you mentioned before, previously to me, you are a professional dancer and along with living with IBS, what that what has that experience been like for you? How have you managed IBS while dancing? Like flare-ups and all of that? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, um, so I've just graduated from, from theater school and I did three years there of full-time dance training. And that consisted of sometimes 13 hour days of, dancing and musical theatre so it was it was intense and that's that's five days a week um so it was like the toughest period of my life energy wise and fitness wise and things but on top of that it was the most stressful period of my life because there were so many deadlines it was constantly something going on there was constantly um obviously the dance industry is quite tough as well so if you had a class that was particularly strict or um, challenging, you, you'd naturally be anxious doing that class because you you don't know what your body's about to go through or yeah. what the teacher put you through that day. Like it's there's so much anxiety anyway. Um, so my my symptoms, I'd had them for about four years before I even went to uh, drama school, but they weren't that bad. They would just flare up every now and then. But it was as soon as I moved away from home and started school that it just soared and it I had symptoms every single day wow I had no no break from it because it was just constant stress it was a massive change of lifestyle living away from home and things and the amount of exercise I was doing my body just couldn't keep up with it it just wasn't used to it um so yeah it got really really bad and I don't, I, looking back, I don't know how I did it. I get a lot of people say to me, how do you even like do a workout every day, let alone three dance classes and rehearsals? And, and I said, I don't know. I think a big part of it was like, I put a lot of pressure on myself, um, going, you know, if you can't hack this, then you're not going to be able to hack, you know, a theater contract or, um, you need, you need the attendance. My college was so big on attendance. So I knew if I let that slip that I'd miss out on like opportunities or, you know, and I thought, well, I need that 
to get the things that I'm actually here for. Um, And so I did put a lot of pressure on myself, but I think it helps me build up a lot of resilience with my symptoms. And Mm. kind of, there were days where I'd wake up and I'd go, I feel rubbish today, I can't do it. But then I would push past it, like pretty much every time. So now I, I kind of have the mindset of like, it's bad that you, I know when it's really bad, if that makes sense. Cause I know that I can always push further than I think I can. And now if I feel like I can't go to work or I can't have going for a walk, I think, come on, yes, you can. Because think about what you used to do when you felt rubbish. So in that way it's helped, but my God, it was, it was What's so the balance then? Because you're saying you're pushing through. Did that cause issues later on or was it more of a push through? Cause I, that sometimes happens to me where it's like, I don't feel well, but what I need is to actually go for a walk and then I'll feel better. Or I don't feel well, but what I need is to engage with this person or go out or something. Whereas sometimes that causes a flare out, sometimes flare up, sometimes it doesn't. Did you mm. ever crash when you went through these types of, when you pushed through or was it more like, yeah? Yeah. I mean, sometimes exercise really helps. Um, and sometimes I would, I would force, almost force myself to go, to go in and it would take my mind off it and I would feel better. Um, but I didn't, I wasn't very good at listening to my body and, mm-hmm. and my mind as well. You know, I am an anxiety sufferer as well. So I had to sort of really train myself to go, you've earned this, you need a day off. You're not being lazy. You're not weak. You're not giving up. You need yeah. to take that time because it, it did it did make me worse at times, definitely. It was a lot of a lot of pressure. Okay. So it was yeah, I mean it sounds like it was a really challenging season for you. So here's my question, and this is something I've even just been thinking about in my own life recently, is when you're dealing with anxiety or health issues, IBS, anything. Did you feel like you could talk to the people around you or did you kind of hide it? Um, I was very split between sort of two extremes. I, I can talk to my mom about anything, but especially this because she has IBS as well. So that was always really nice. But she was, you know, I was away from home. So that was kind of always on the phone and that was sometimes really difficult because that was our only time to have a decent conversation. And I didn't want it to always be negative or me ranting on about my, my symptoms. You know, I wanted to have like a nice cheery conversation with her because I, I, I missed her. I was away from home. Um, but my housemates were absolutely fantastic. Like oh, wow. they, we lived in a massive student house. It was like a converted hotel. So it was 13 of us and wow. they were, like brilliant and I could be so open with them like lots of them follow my my IBS account so they knew everything we had like running jokes about stuff like I'd come down with my hot water bottle and they'd know it was a bad day and they're like oh okay you know when I was low FODMAP they were with me through all of that like wow so that really helped but in terms of um like I don't know people from college um people in people I don't know personally other friends I certainly wouldn't be able to be as open I'm I'm very like conscious about who I let into that part of my life if that makes sense 
Yeah, it does. And I, it's something I've been thinking about recently because it's, I go through varying degrees of severity with my anxiety and symptoms and chronic pain and all of that. And there's sometimes where I'm, I can hide it really well. I can pretend like everything's okay, but it's hard sometimes when you're talking with a friend and it's the type of, it's like a type of friend that doesn't really know how to handle when you start talking about the struggles. Yeah. And it's like, oh my gosh, I love this person. I've been friends with this person, but they actually can't connect on that level. And so now I just feel like I have to pretend like everything's okay. Yeah, definitely. And definitely. that's... It's, it's, it's really frustrating because I they used to say, people used to say things to me that I just think, like, come on, like... I know you don't you don't necessarily know what it's like unless you go through it, but I just think a lot of it's naivety. I think, come on, like educate yourself a little bit about what to say to people that are clearly struggling, because I don't know they, they just come out with things that are just so insensitive. Like mm. there'd be times when I was in rehearsals and I wouldn't feel well and my stomach would be like ridiculously bloated. And that, when I was in college, was my worst thing because I was always in, like, crop top and leggings. I was always in a leotard. I was always in a costume or something where you literally can't hide it and it is really uncomfortable. Um, so I, that would really get me down, and it would get me down in terms of my appearance as well. And I'd have people turn around and go, oh, you, you look great. You look healthy. Like, I think you look better like that. You, I, I wish I looked like that. And I think, come on, because that's not it's not just about how it looks it's how it feels you know it's, it's painful it makes you feel rubbish yeah. and it, it's just it's just insensitive yeah I it's just something I've been I've been reflecting on because it's like I'm trying to find that balance between even recently just the friends that I don't feel I can connect with I or talk, be transparent with, I don't reach out to them as much, but they have been there through me for me for other things, you know? And it's like, mm -hmm. what's that balance between actually keeping those friends that you can't necessarily be honest with? Because it's, it is a friendship and there's a level of care on, there is a level of care and there's a level of, I, you know, I care about this person, but like, mm -hmm. I can't be honest with them. And I don't know what do you think do you think it's like should we have like maintain friendships only friendships that like we actually can talk about this stuff with or I don't know I mean I think there, there are always different types different types of friendships there are friends that you just have a great time with and you just have a laugh with them and you hang out and then I think there are friends that you connect with on a really really deep level and I think this is what makes me so grateful for like the IBS community on Instagram and things because when a friend doesn't understand or I don't feel like I can talk to someone that knows me personally, I have a whole community of people that 100% understand and everyone has time for everyone. I know that these people I've never, ever met in person, yeah. but I, I could message them at any time with advice or wanting support or anything. And I know that they would they'd have time for it. And that's, that's amazing. And that's like, that's really reassuring. Yeah. Yeah. And I found that as well. <laughs> yeah. And I found that as well. And it's,
the community has honestly been so valued to the point where I've realized that I can be more transparent on my chronic hope Instagram as opposed to my personal Instagram. Cause yeah. it's like this, um, I don't know, there's this underlying level of awareness of pain in the chronic illness mm. community and how hard life can be. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's just something I'm learning to navigate and was curious your thoughts as well with dance school because that's that's a whole challenge in itself. And like it's a lot of young people going through this program that there's not as sounds like there's not as much space for any type of condition. You have to be mm. healthy, essentially, and you have to be able yeah. to do this stuff. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's obviously like the physical aspect of it, regardless. But I do think being being a dancer, you naturally get that mentality of even even when things like an injury, you start getting a little bit of pain, and you go, "Nope, I'm fine. I can do it. It's nothing. I'll ignore it." And you have that like over resilient kind of mentality yeah. of fine there's there's no space so once you're in the studio there's no space to bring your outside problems in and you do kind of get it drilled into you it's like you're on stage you've got a paying audience they don't care about your problems and in as harsh as it is yeah. it's kind of true like it's a big part of being a performer you have to shut that off but then there's finding a balance between yes of course I have to do it when I'm on stage but I'm still a person and the rest of my life when I'm not on stage is just me trying to battle all this stuff. So I think um, in the industry, it's better than it was, but it there's not, there's not enough awareness of it, I think. Yeah. It's not something that we can be open about yet, I don't think. Yeah, and it's also knowing the people you can be open about it with as well. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, definitely. some people aren't ready for it and yeah. you know, that's disappointing, but it's, it is what it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's like why we're trying to build this community as well is so that we can raise that awareness. Um, yes. Yeah. So let me switch gears. Um, yeah. So how do you manage anxiety when you're performing? Cause obviously piggybacking off of what you had just said of like putting aside your own mm. your own self essentially to perform when you have a flare-up or even when you don't how do you manage that when you're about to get on stage um I think a big part of it for me is the fact that performing dancing anything like that has always been what I've enjoyed doing most so although it's always been tough and it's always been a, a challenge, it's also a form of escapism. So whether I'm performing or if I'm just taking class or I'm just dancing at home, which obviously we have been doing for the last 10 months or whatever, um, it's something that makes me happy. And even if I am having a flare up, it kind of takes me away from that. Like I can forget about it for like a little while. Um, so it's kind of like, it contradicts itself a bit. It's my biggest yeah. challenge with my physical flare-ups, but it's also a massive way to improve them. Um, but in terms of anxiety, I don't think I do manage it, to be honest, because yeah. it's it's a massively nerve-wracking industry. Like, yeah, you're constantly about to go on stage, and that feeling of 
that pressure, you know, auditioning is the most nerve-wracking thing. It's never easy, like, mm. going in for an audition and having a panel and the night before an audition, it just, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And I don't think I'll ever manage it. Um, and obviously there's a big difference between anxiety and nerves, but I just have to... I just have to think long term. I think that's the way I get through it is thinking I'm anxious now, but this actually is what I want. So I'm not anxious about something that I haven't chosen to do. If this is something I've chosen to put myself in this situation because I want to do it. So yeah, I kind of flip it on its head and think how lucky am I that the thing that I'm most anxious about is something that I actually want rather than a situation at the moment we're all anxious about something that is completely out of our control. So it's kind of yeah. a blessing in disguise in a weird way, I think. But yeah, it's 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 a tough one. That's a, I haven't, that's I haven't a cool way to see it. Mm. It's like, it's oh, hard. I'm getting anxious about what I want to achieve. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, it's easier to overcome. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. definitely. You actually want to do it. You've got that, like, strive to push past it because you think, how good am I going to feel when I've actually done it? And I think nerves, mum always said to me when I, when I was younger and I, and I used to go on stage, I used to go, why am I so nervous? It's really annoying being nervous. And she used to say, nerves just mean you care. And that has literally stuck in my mind the whole time because I get nervous about things that I shouldn't even get nervous about that aren't even important. Like I know nerves mean that I care. It's a good thing. If I wasn't nervous, then I wouldn't care about it. So that shows me what's important to me, what matters to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. Thanks for sharing. That's, that's a really interesting insight. I'm trying to kind of um, relate, relate it to my own experience of like, I think even just opportunities with my charity and all of that, like I... I've gotten a few opportunities, like some awards and some opportunities to speak and do interviews for articles and stuff through my work with Chronic Hope. And it's a bit weird, like reading someone write about me or like doing a talk or getting an award. I find that a little bit awkward, but at the same time, mm -hmm. I have to, I think to my, and I, I get anxious about it. Like I get anxious about, you know, public speaking or whatever. But at the end of the day, I remember, I remind myself, this is what I wanted. Yeah. This is what I dreamt about because I want to give a voice to people that are living with chronic illness. And yeah. it's like the outcome is far better than the nerves or the exhaustion that that brings on, for example. Yeah, definitely. It's just trying to remember that in the moment. You keep telling yourself that and then it's it kind of helps. Yeah, and I think as well, it's worth noting that I think you and I are people that... In that tend to push through things, which I really want to acknowledge that that's probably not the healthiest thing for me. And yeah, as you said earlier, probably not the healthiest thing. So um, in no way are we encouraging you to push through your pain, your symptoms, mm. all of that. To be honest, my recommendation, well, it's a touchy one though, because sometimes I do push through knowing that something's really stressful right now, but I'm going to get out of the situation and 
it'll be better but it just needs to be stressful right now um yeah so it's just this weird balance because you're like I should be doing this but I'm not and (laughs) I'm actively making the choice to not do that knowing that there may be consequences but I know my body enough to know that I can push through this sort of thing yeah that's the thing I think you get you get to know yourself and you just have to it's it's difficult I think you have to practice like listening to yourself it's really hard to to make that decision to be selfish and kind of just go I need to not do this it's really it's really difficult to get used to doing that I think um especially like with the type of people we are like you're saying you you have that voice in your head that's like oh you're so lazy oh you've given up you're, oh yeah you're and it's you have to find a way to switch that off and it does take so much practice and I feel like I'm finally getting there but yes yeah, it's, it's tough really tough yeah it it totally is and I think almost in a perfect world we would have the opportunity to rest kind of whenever we needed it um but at least for me it's the hustle at the moment there's times where I actually can't rest um and I could probably take a few things off my plate but <laughs> um one day (laughs) yeah um yeah so all of these are really just such good thoughts from like I think also it's worth noting that there's varying levels of debilitation is that a word yeah debilitation Mm. for different conditions and yeah some people can push through and some people can't as well. And so know your body sort of summary of that is know your body, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's easier said than done, but it comes with time and you, you know yourself better than anyone else. And I think pardon the pun, but you have to listen to your gut. And if it's (laughs) not, not to do it, chances are it's right. And it's, it's going to pay off in the long term. Do you, I was actually thinking of this question earlier. So with your friends and family, how do you talk to them about symptoms or how do you say no to things or how do you, how do you manage that? Are you honest or are you kind of like, do you kind of avoid it or make excuses? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm as honest as I can be. Um, and I'm very different with different people that I have different relationships with. Um, but it's, it's easier for me now that I don't follow any kind of elimination diet. Yeah. When I was doing that, it was so hard to explain to people that didn't get it. They'd sort of, well, isn't it an, is it an intolerance? No. And I'm like, chances are I'll be able to eat it again in, in a few weeks' time. It's just temporary. Yeah. And trying to explain it was so hard. So I... With that part of my life, I wasn't always honest. I would kind of just say I'm working through like testing out some intolerances um, to see if, you know, I am intolerant to certain foods. And then using the word intolerance, people would go, oh, okay. Like they wouldn't really question it because it's just a thing. Like you don't, you don't argue yeah. with someone who's intolerant. You don't argue with celiac. So you just kind of but I was like, I'm not lying because FODMAP is an intolerance in itself. Yeah. Um, it was just a way of like, just kind of brushing over it. Sugar in a way that I it. Yeah. I didn't have to like explain my whole life. 
Um, and I felt so awkward when I was in that part of my life because I'd go and like stay with my dad and my dad's family. And like, I'd kind of just feel really awkward because I'm like, I can't, I can't eat that. Oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just cook for myself. Don't worry. And um, so that part was really tough to be honest with people. But now, because that's not an issue and I only really like flare up now if I go and stay somewhere else. So if it was a family member that I would go and stay with overnight, their chances are they know about it because they know that I'm not going to feel well when I'm there. Um, but for people that I don't ever, you know, I just meet them like in a restaurant or we just have like a family meal or a family get together. They don't, they don't need to really know because it doesn't affect the time we have together. If that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. And that actually kind of goes back to, we had some of your, uh, followers shoot in questions. And one of the questions was about the elimination diet, how you manage Mm -hmm. that. I know you've posted in the past that I have mentioned this on a past podcast about how you did all these elimination diets and ended up realizing that it was actually making you more stress and your symptoms worse to try and eliminate all these foods. Can you tell me about that experience? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I discovered the FODMAP diet first through, through the Instagram community and it was branded as this like miracle diet that you do this it eliminates yeah. your symptoms. This is like, everyone was raving about it. This is the one thing we need. And I thought, brilliant, I've got to try this. And I saw things about, you know, do it with a dietitian's guidance. And I thought, ah, I'll just research it. Like I got books, I got the apps and I thought, that's all I need. I'll keep a food diary. And now looking back, it's so stupid. Like do it with yeah. a dietitian because <laughs> I learned the hard way, but I'll get to that. That's Um, good, good advice. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I started sort of looking into it. I did, I did all my research and I didn't see anything that explains to you that if you are constipation dominant, it won't fix your symptoms. FODMAP is designed for people who have IBSD because FODMAPs cause those kind of bowel habits. Whereas when you take them out, they cause them. It's, it's science it can't it can't fix both so I didn't get symptom relief because you I was still worse. having did you get worse yeah I had wor- I had yeah. the worst constipation I had and then because I had that it was making me bloated it was making me still be gassy and I was still having pain but in my head because I hadn't seen that anywhere that information I didn't I thought I was doing something wrong I was like, I'm obviously still eating a FODMAP. I'm still, because with the um, the guidance, you, for something like lactose, you can have certain types of cheese that are yeah. low lactose. So I think it's like you can have 40 grams of cheddar or something. Don't quote me on that. It's probably wrong, but something like that. Um, so it was like, well, maybe I shouldn't be having cheese at all. And then I'd cut it out completely. And then I started doing that with all the FODMAPs. So rather than having the low FODMAP amount, I'd have none. And I still didn't get any symptom relief. So we're talking, you know, you're supposed to do this diet for two to eight weeks. We're talking past that now. Um, because I had it drilled into me, it's going to work. Yeah. So I, I just kept going. I thought, well, it's me making a mistake. So I kept going. 
And then I discovered um, I did a food intolerance test, which did actually, everyone says they're a scam. And I think some of them are a scam, but they did bring back two, three foods that I am intolerant to, separate from IBS, different symptoms. So I'm grateful for that. Did that. Then I did, I found someone who was low histamine. So I was like, okay, I must have a histamine tolerance and be low FODMAP. So then I had two lists of foods I couldn't have that were low FODMAP and then foods that were low histamine. And I had to kind of do like a Venn diagram of what was in the middle that I could have. So I was basically left with rice, potatoes, oats, few bits of fruit. Like, honestly, this was my diet. It was shocking, absolutely shocking. And at this point, I was in second year of of theatre school, which is the most intense year, 13-hour days, like three dance classes a day and then rehearsals. I'd finish at half nine at night. I... I didn't have enough energy. I couldn't, I could not get through my classes because I was not giving my body the right food. Um, but I still had it in my head that this is going to work. So I just kept cutting things out. And my housemates will tell you, I literally used to eat like rice cakes with like a spread of jam. And then I used to have to put like linseeds on it, which are like high in fiber and are supposed to reduce constipation because all this time I was just making that worse. So I was adding, and they're disgusting. They're horrible, but I was determined to find relief. So then I thought, well, I can't stay like this, so I'm going to have to start reintroducing things, which was impossible because I didn't even have symptom relief, so you can't test it. And all this time, I was losing a scary, scary amount of weight, um, which is is not surprising. Yeah. But I was oblivious to that I think everyone around me noticed it but I I was oblivious um yeah I was running out of energy in my classes and then it got to the summer so I'd been doing this for like eight months um so you can imagine like the stress and that I had no social life because I couldn't go out to eat or do anything like that um and obviously this was like normal circumstances life was normal then pre-covid um, so I then went on, on holiday in the summer. I went once a little trip with my mum, and then I went away with two of my friends still on this diet. And I had the worst flare up I have ever had. And I refer to this on my account a lot. I always say about travel belly. It's my worst kinds of symptoms. Yeah. It's absolutely awful. And I thought, why why am I doing this? Why am I cutting out all these foods, putting myself through this stress to still feel ill anyway? So when I was away, I thought, right, I'm in Italy. I'm going to eat cheese. I'm going to eat pizza. I'm going to drink wine because why wouldn't you? Yeah. So I did. And I wasn't any worse. And I thought, okay, this, there's something not right here. Like, and that's when I discovered that stress was my trigger. Um, so I went back to eating completely normally and at this point I had holiday pictures so pictures of me like in swimwear and things and I looked back at those pictures and I think you don't notice those things until you see it in picture form and I was like oh my god that's not what I look like like it was scary like Like, the the weight loss was just terrifying and I don't think anyone 
addresses that and I try and raise as much awareness as I can for that because you don't see it the people around you see it but they don't want to say anything because they know they knew how desperate I was to get symptom relief um but yeah it's scary so then obviously my relationship with food was just a mess because I did I was scared to eat things but equally wanting to eat everything because I'd missed out on eight months worth of my favorite foods um so I just ate normally for well since then pretty much and then now I feel a healthier place to start kind of tracking things again I wanted to leave it like a good two years of recovery before I started yeah. doing any kind of cutting out foods any kind of food journaling again because I knew it was really triggering for me like I unfollowed loads of low FODMAP accounts because I was like that's going to persuade me to try again yeah um but now I feel like I'm in a healthier place to like approach it from a better mentality. And I know, I know the warning signs for me now. So as soon as I start getting obsessive, I know to like switch it off. But yeah, that's, that's my experience. Um, which I, yeah, I like to raise awareness of as much as I can, because I think people focus on food as triggers and underestimate stress a lot. Yeah, that's interesting. Honestly, your whole sort of story there is really interesting with elimination diets because we even talked about this um, at a podcast we released this week, Talia, where it can be very stressful eliminating foods, trying to eat out, all of these things when the stress actually often, not often, it really depends on the person, but definitely causes causes mm. flare-up of symptoms essentially um yeah, definitely. so that's really interesting and it sounds like honestly the takeaway from that for me is make sure you're talking to a health professional and nutritionist before you start eliminating all these foods i definitely when i did i went through my journey i did a intolerance test and found out i had all of these intolerances um I mean, it was a whole list. It was gluten, it was dairy, it was soy, it was beans, it was almonds and peanuts and shellfish and everything, like, and sugar, I couldn't eat. And so I was very much on a a very strict diet and I have only been able to reintroduce beans into my diet in the last couple of years. So I was off beans for quite a few years. Um, and then even I went paleo for a little while and I did the FODMAP thing, but I did that with a health professional. But I, and I also only did it for a period of time as you are meant to do. And so, yes. and I think that helped. I think paleo was the thing that helped me the most at the time. But now I find that eating more plant-based helps me. Yeah, so, yeah, me and too. And I think it can change as well because if I had tried to eat plant-based back when I had CFS really bad, it wouldn't have gone well because I couldn't have leg- legumes. Mm. So I yeah. needed that protein from meat. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's such a complicated thing. And I think your journey is very interesting in the sense that you went through all these elimination diets and then swung back to the eating normally train. Mm which I love. I love hearing that because I think even 
people that people that have done the elimination, I think it's, and I've noticed that for me, it's hard to swing back to introducing food because there's like a mental block there of like thinking yeah. that something's bad, for example. Yeah, definitely. It's, re- it's really nerve wracking to like, you're literally inducing a flare up on yourself. And it's yeah. really scary to, to make yourself eat something that you think is going to react with you. So my relationship with food was, was shocking afterwards. Um, now it's, it's pretty much back to normal, but I think as well, like a lot of people thought when I went back to eating normally, they thought that my symptoms weren't that bad. And it meant that, you know, oh, I'd love to eat normally if I could. And I was kind of like, it doesn't mean my symptoms have gone. Like I still have really bad symptoms. I just, food doesn't make them worse. Or in most cases, most foods don't make it worse. It's, it's all down to my stress. And I also think people kind of thought like, oh, she's got it easy. Like, oh, lucky her. She can eat whatever she wants. And I used to always kind of go, well, well, not really, because, you know, I don't want to make this sound like a competition, but if you have an intolerance or you know you have a certain trigger food, you can cut it out. And like, yeah, it sucks. You know, no one wants to go without a food that they love. But you can eliminate that food and reduce your symptoms. Done. Whereas... Yeah. If it's down to stress, you can't just stop being stressed. You know, I have anxiety. I'm a natural warrior, natural stress head about everything. So it's a long-term, like, practice. You have to put in daily practice and find things, lots of trial and error that reduce it. And sometimes you don't even know if you're stressed. You just have yeah. a flare-up. So it's it swings and roundabouts, I think. And I, I just don't want anyone to think, oh, she's her symptoms aren't that bad because she eats what she wants it's not it's not the case no it's not the case yeah I totally I totally see where you're where you're coming from for sure yeah and honestly stress is a trigger for me for pretty much everything as well so I can understand that because it's like you know some days I'll be able to do a certain activity or whatever and then sometimes days I won't and so it's like that because I'm just so stressed and it's that up and down as well yeah 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 so really interesting thanks for sharing um we're about to kind of wrap up but kind of the last segment of the podcast is always kind of getting recommendations from the guests do you have any recommendations of watching reading podcasts sounds like you have a lot of time on your hands how are you feeling it yeah well actually not IBS related but I've got them here actually because it doesn't have to be IBS related but I've been really into like female empowerment books and like feminism books. So I got this for Christmas. Women, I don't know if it's flipped, but it's Women Don't Are You Pretty no, no. by Flora Given, which okay. is so good. And there's a series, again, with the female empowerment. This one's Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies. And it's a series. So there's also one, It's Not Okay to Feel Blue and Other Lies, which is wow. obviously a lot more mental health related and they're brilliant they're all different um like little anecdotes or little insets from different celebrities different activists um psychologists like anyone and they all just write their opinions their experiences so the odd little like famous name will pop up and it's really it's really inspiring really interesting so i recommend those reading wise okay Um, watching i've watched bridgerton like the rest of the world and that was fantastic and it's a nice short little binge watch um i've 
also been revisiting those of like nostalgic stuff. So like stuff from my childhood, which just naturally I think makes you happier. So Disney Plus is like the best way to find that for me because it's like all the stuff that I grew up on. So that's always really nice. Um, And Fern Cotton's Happy Place podcast has literally been like a game changer. Like listening to celebrities that you love or you admire, different actors, different whoever. Um, Just scrolling through, you know, finding someone that you like listening to them talk about what makes them happy, what boosts their mindset and everything, put that on, go for a walk. And it just makes me feel better about the world, makes me feel better about life. Like it's, I highly recommend that. So Okay. Awesome. We'll put all of that. So that's a lot. And that's awesome. We'll put all of that in the show notes. And um, yeah, and we'll also make sure that people know how to find you. Um, For those listening, it's IBS underscore fighter. And Honestly, go follow her. She's amazing. So transparent and honest about her journey. Um, I highly recommend. I'm one of the freaking biggest fans. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for coming on. And we'll chat soon. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks for listening to the Sound of Hope podcast. If you want access to show notes, go to chronicope.org where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. And make sure to follow us on our Instagram, at chronic underscore hope. See you next week.